I know that might be weird for you if you're a teenager or in your 20s that we do actually go outside to play games. You think, you know, why would you do that? Your Xbox is inside. You know, your iPad's inside. Your, you know, PlayStation or whatever it is is inside. Why would you go outside to play games? But we did. We'd go out and we'd play games like uh, Cops and Robbers. Or we play games like um, Cowboys and Native Indigenous Peoples. Um, that's what we called it when I was a kid. I don't know what you might have called it, but that's what we called it. Uh, did any of you ever play games outside? Anybody? Yeah, a few of you. Good. About half the room uh, knows what it's like to be outside in the weather. Uh, that's what we did. And, and there was always this one question that came up uh, at some point in this exchange because you had people, you had the good guys and the bad guys, right? You had people on two different sides. And there was always one question that you would ask uh, no matter what game you were playing at some point. And it was, it was like this. So when you first ran into your enemy, inevitably somebody would kind of snarl their lip a little bit and squint their eyes and look at the other person and say, who do you think you are, right? And when you ask that question, it, it was more about what gives you the right to be here, to look at me that way, to talk to me that way. Um, it's a question that doesn't usually have a very good connotation, right? I mean, if you ran into somebody on the street and they said, who do you think you are, uh, you might run away. I mean, because if you see that question asked in a movie, it's usually right before a knife fight, right? And so it's not a question um, that really generally has a very good connotation. Uh, It's one we've come to hear often, especially in TV and movies, and we've come to interpret as what gives you the right to do what you're doing. Well, as we continue in our series called The Story today, we're going to hear Jesus ask a very similar sounding question, uh, but one with a different meaning. And the question is, who do you think I am? Now, we, if, if you haven't been here, if you're a guest, we're uh, in this series called The Story. We're using this book called The Story, uh, which is a, a summary kind of a para, uh, of the Bible. It's actual NIV scripture, but it's 31, broken into 31 chapters. It's told more like a narrative. And we've been going through this now for 24 weeks. This is our 25th week. And so if you're just visiting today and you're thinking, oh, great, I got in right at the end, uh, let me tell you, it's great you got in right at the end because um, uh, we are getting ready to get to the really exciting part of scripture. Not that the rest of it wasn't exciting, but I use this analogy. It's a little bit like watching an NBA game. Uh, You know, if you really want to watch the whole thing, you can, but if you just watch the fourth quarter, you really get a feel for how the whole flow of the game has gone. And so we are getting ready to start the fourth quarter in the story. And so if you have a chance to come back um, and you want to be a part of this, we have a couple of these left at the Info Hub, uh, and we would love to give you one just as a gift if you want to follow along with us. Now, if you don't have the story or you don't want to read from that, uh, you can read right along in this book, uh, your Bible. Uh, We have a reading plan on the back of your worship program, and that's where I've been reading as I've been preparing for this. So we're in chapter 25 of the story. If you have your Bible, uh, or if you have your iPad or your phone or wherever you read your Bible, you might open it up to Mark chapter 8. Now, that's where we're going to spend the first half of this morning. We're going to go Mark 8 and then John 11. But if you have that open, uh, that would be great because I'm probably going to play a trick on you at some point in the service. Now, over the past three weeks now, we've been studying the life and the ministry of Jesus. And if you have been reading along with us, if you've been following along with us, you've seen him do some pretty amazing things. I mean, the very first miracle we saw Jesus do was he turned water into wine at the wedding of a friend. Uh, Let me tell you, if you're having a wedding soon, that's the kind of guest you want to invite to your wedding, okay? You probably already know that, but that's the kind of guy you want there. Uh, We've seen Jesus heal the sick. Uh, We've seen him heal the demon-possessed. He's he's, uh, touched and healed lepers. He uh, helped a lame man to walk. He, He taught with authority. 
He told amazing stories about the kingdom of God and what that was like. And a lot of people didn't understand what he was teaching, but everybody that saw him said that they were amazed by his teaching and the authority they had that. He's constantly, continually gone around to people and asked them to drop everything they own and leave everything they knew and all of their family behind and follow him. And the amazing part is that people did it. They actually did it, that Jesus was that compelling that people would leave their things behind and they would follow him. And and all this time, there's been this small group of men and women following Jesus around and watching his every move. Now, maybe you hadn't thought about that before, that there are actually women following Jesus at the same time. You know, we talk so much and hear so much about the 12 disciples, the 12 that would become apostles, um, that we maybe tend to think that there were only a few people following Jesus and they were all men. But the truth is there were men and women and children that followed Jesus around and that the women had a major role to play that many of them were helping serve in Jesus' ministry. They They were helping financially support Jesus' ministry. They were an integral part in the kingdom of God. And so, so many times in the church, we get this wrong. We say that women can serve in kids' ministry or they can sing, but other than that, you know, they don't really have a place in here. And that's not true, that no matter who you are, male, female, no matter what gifts you bring, you have an important role to play in the kingdom of God. And we see that in Jesus' ministry, and we're going to see that today um, by, as we look at the story of a couple of these women that followed Jesus around. So after performing all these miracles and doing all this teaching, as we begin chapter 25 of the story, uh, Jesus gets a little alone time with his followers, these men and women, in an area around Caesarea Philippi. And that's where he asks this question, who do people say that I am? And so if you have your Bible, Mark 8, uh, verse 27 says this, Jesus and his disciples went to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? Now, it's interesting that Jesus chose this location to ask this question. Uh, Caesarea Philippi was kind of a, a, region, in a region that was kind of a melting pot of religion. Right now, it's near the base of Mount Hermon, which is on the border of modern-day Syria, Israel, and Lebanon. And so if you can imagine, it's kind of a cultural melting pot too. But it was in a region called Paneus, which was named after the Greek god Pan. So you can see that there's some history there of worshiping Greek gods. Uh, The name Caesarea Philippi, as you can tell, is a Roman name or a Latin name. Uh, And so at the time, it was under the rule of Augustus Caesar, who was the emperor of the Roman Empire. Um, Augustus Caesar, Caesar Augustus, was worshipped by the people along with the Roman gods. Now, but this didn't actually happen in Caesarea Philippi. It happened in the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And the villages around Caesarea Philippi were mostly Jewish settlements. And so they would have Jewish followers there. So we got this whole confluence of Greek gods and Roman gods and the God of the Bible uh, being worshipped in the same place. So when Jesus asked this question, who do people say I am? Well, I mean, he could get any kind of answer here. And so uh, here's what he asked his disciples, and here's how they respond. Verse 28, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Now, at this point, John the Baptist had been murdered. He'd been beheaded, and so some people thought he was reincarnated. But this is kind of the common thinking about Jesus at the time, all right? Uh, It's the same old thing. It's what many people from the Jewish faith would have thought anytime some new hotshot prophet comes along. So this guy comes along, he's prophesying, he's teaching in the name of God, and they think, well, that must be Elijah reincarnated. That must be one of the prophets. Uh, And that's what everyone is saying. But that's not really the question that Jesus wanted to ask. He gets to that in verse 29. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. That's the question Jesus wanted to ask. 
You know, and the answer he got was what he wanted to hear. Jesus wants to know, who do you say I am? Now, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, uh, that's the decision that each and every one of us has to make for ourselves. And when it comes time to make that decision, uh, that's what Jesus wants to know. Who do you say I am? It's a question that we don't always get right, okay? As Americans, as Christians, we don't always get that right. Let me give you an example. How many of you remember or know the game show Family Feud? Anybody know that game? Okay, okay, most of you in here, good. And, and so Family Feud, if you don't know, um, they ask 100 people on the street some question. Everybody answers that question, and they put the top answers on the board. And so last year, I didn't realize Family Feud was still on, okay? But last year, uh, in 2012, Family Feud asked this question. 100 people surveyed, top four answers on the board. And they asked this question, who is, when someone mentions the king, to whom might he or she be referring? That was the question. Now, out of 100 people surveyed, 81 said Elvis. Elvis was the number one answer on the board. Now, the good news for us is Jesus was number two, all right? But he was way behind, a distant number two. Now, actually, two people said the Burger King. And so I don't know uh, where we get that, but man, we have some priorities messed up there. We don't always get this answer right, you know? Who do you say I am? In other words, Jesus says, it doesn't matter what your friends think. You know, it doesn't matter that your coworkers might think you're a little crazy. It doesn't matter that your family doesn't understand. It doesn't matter what the other kids in school think about me. Jesus says, who do you say I am? What do you say about me? You know, and he's hoping you can look at him and honestly say, you're the Messiah. You're the Savior, that you are my Lord. That's what Jesus wants to hear. And so at the same time, maybe you're not a believer, um, and you're here visiting, you're here as a guest, but, but maybe you think, you know what, I got this covered. I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, my parents are believers. No, that's not what Jesus says. He says, he wants to know, who do you say that I am? You know, it's a decision that every one of us needs to make for ourselves. And today at Genesis Church, we're celebrating the story of 22 people who've answered that question and answered it correctly. People who've accepted Jesus as their savior and are here today to be baptized or at our other campus in Noblesville to be baptized to make that decision public. And I want to let you know that if you're here today, there's an opportunity for you to do that too. I mean, at the end of this service, if you want to be baptized, um, you can come up and see me after the service. I'd love to talk to you about that. But if you've made that decision to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, and you've never made that public proclamation of baptism, I want to talk to you about that because we can do it after the service or we can uh, do it at our 6 p.m. service over in Noblesville if you want to invite some friends. But there's an opportunity for you to do that today too. Hey, this isn't the only time in this chapter, in chapter 25 of the story, that this question or a similar one is asked by Jesus. And so we're going to, comes up again a little later in a story I want to show you uh, from John chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, we're done with Mark 8, you can turn to John 11. The verses will be on the side screens again. But, but this is a story of a couple of these women that were following Jesus around and having an impact on his ministry and what happens when their brother gets sick. And so you might take a look at this, John 11 uh, verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. <clears throat> he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Uh, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, we actually haven't read that story yet. It actually happens in John 12. Um, but this is John just uh, letting you know, hey, this is the same family that this happened in. And so there's several stories in the New Testament about Mary and Martha um, and, and their family. So uh, verse 3, so the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, something struck me about this this week and how interesting this phrasing is. Do you see that? That they just say, Lord, the one you love is sick. 
And it's so interesting to me because I feel like I know some things about Jesus. And one of the things I know about Jesus is I think Jesus loves everyone. And so if they can look at him and just say, Lord, the one you love is sick, what that tells me is there must be a special relationship between Jesus and Lazarus, right? I mean, there's something special going on there. Verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, if you've read any of the New Testament, uh, if you've seen Jesus healing people that came up to him on the street, you know that Jesus and Lazarus have a very special relationship uh, that he loves Lazarus enough so that they don't even have to mention his name and Jesus knows who he's talking about. You probably can understand uh, how this is going to end, right? And so verse five, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he ran to his side, he laid hands on him and healed him and Lazarus lived happily ever after, right? Is that what your Bible says? It's not what mine says either. I just made it up. Maybe that's why you should bring your Bible to church. Uh, so I can't just make stuff up. Um, but, but that's how it should go, right? Isn't that how we feel like it should go? Here's how it really goes. Verse six. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. That's not what I expected at all out of Jesus. Now, let me tell you, I could understand this. Okay. Jesus is a busy guy. I mean, he is healing people, he's teaching people, he's leading people, he's in demand. I mean, people, everybody wants a piece of Jesus. So if scripture had told me that he heard Lazarus is sick, but he had a lot of people lined up to see him, and it took him two more days to heal people, to teach people, to lead people through that, and when he finished up, he packed up and headed to Judea, I get that, right? I understand that. Jesus can't just leave whatever he's doing to go be at the side of his friend. But that's not what it says. Look at verse 6 again. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. It says so. Jesus loved Lazarus. He heard Lazarus was sick. So he stayed where he was two more days. I don't really understand that, do you? Well, I think we're going to get an inside scoop. And what I realized this week is it helped me understand this passage better, actually, if I read it backwards, okay? And so if you read it backwards, verse 6, Jesus stayed behind two more days because, verse 5, he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And verse 4, this is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And so this is so important to us to understand that this whole thing happened for God's glory because here's the truth. I mean, some of us are going through some stuff right now. I mean, some of us have some things in our life that that we didn't choose, uh, that we're stuck in the middle of, and we don't know why. We don't know when it's going to end. We don't know what God's going to do with it, and we don't even know if, like if God's going to act. All we know is it's painful, that we don't like it that we don't want to be in the mess we're in, even if we created it. You know, we don't want to be sick, even if our actions contributed to it. We don't want to go through a divorce, even if we're the ones that initially chose it. But Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death. It's to bring God glory. And so here's something that God's been speaking to me this week, because I've been preparing for this week um, and praying about this passage this week. Um, God's been telling me this. I don't believe that we can really experience 
God's glory, that we can experience his love or his mercy, the depths of those things, uh, God's compassion. I don't believe we can experience those things until we have some disappointment in our lives. Like it's not until uh, we are desperate for God to show up. You know, it's not until we, God strips us down and we have nothing left but God that we can discover that God is enough. And so I, I've come across this verse a couple times in the past two weeks or so, and uh, it's from Isaiah 51, and I wanted to share this with you today. Uh, Isaiah 51, 3, I know that we're in the New Testament. You thought we were done with the Old Testament, but I'm telling you, uh, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forever. And so uh, this verse is just as relevant for us today as it ever has been. But uh, Isaiah 51, 3 says, The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing. And in your life, you know, when you've got some ruins laying around, it's the perfect opportunity for God to show up. Like in your deserts is where you most need that spring of living water, right? In, in those wastelands, God can best show his strength. And that's what's happening in this story. So after staying behind two more days, Jesus and his disciples leave for Judea. And they head toward Bethany, the village where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. And what they find is that, well, Lazarus is dead. In fact, he's been in the tomb uh, for four days. And as he's walking toward Bethany, he gets to the outskirts of town. And before he even walks into the town, Martha meets him out on the road. Of course she does. I mean, if you've read, you know, anything about Martha, you know that she's going to be the first ones there. But you can see uh, that Martha is heartbroken. And you can hear it in the conversation that follows. So if you skip down to verse 21, you see this. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Can you hear the desperation? And can you hear the heartbreak in Martha? If only you had been here. I mean, if only you had been true. If only I could have trusted you. Have you ever been there with God? You know, maybe you're there right now. You know, the tests come back positive for cancer. God, if you had been there, this wouldn't have happened. Or your child is caught up in yet another poor decision. If only you had been here, your marriage is falling apart. If only you had been here, or you can't get pregnant, and all of your friends are having babies. You know, where are you, God? If only you had been here. It's a hard place to be. But listen to the faith that Martha shows. Verse 22. She says, if only you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. But then verse 22, she says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. I mean, Martha's faith in this situation is miraculous. Even now, I know you can do something. I'm disappointed. It wasn't supposed to happen like this. It looks hopeless. Lazarus is dead, but I know that even now, somehow, you'll come through. And man, if you're in the midst of disappointment this morning, I hope this is an encouragement for you. That, that you're not too late. That if your faith is great, that even now, somehow, God can take what's wrong in your life and make it right for his glory. That God can take something bad and use it for good. By faith, it's not too late for you. 
God can take your circumstances and turn them around and bring you up out of the grave just like he's about to do for Lazarus. Now, I promised you there's a question in here. Uh, Just like Jesus asked Peter, you know, who do you say I am? Uh, There's a question that he asked Martha in kind of a roundabout way uh, in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. And so many of you know the story. You know what happens next. Jesus turns the funeral into a birthday party. <laughs> I mean, he, he walks to the tomb where Lazarus lay and through a remarkable demonstration of God's incredible grace and power, he gives us the finest piece of foreshadowing ever known. As Jesus yells to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus walks out of the tomb and into his new life. Just as soon, Jesus would walk out of his own tomb to give us new life. I mean, that's what happened. Jesus gave Lazarus new life, and he wants to give you new life too. Now, with your circumstances, with your challenges, your problems that you're facing in life, I mean, I can't promise you how God's going to respond. I can't. I can't answer why God sometimes answers prayers and performs miracles before our eyes and why sometimes it seems he's absent. But I can promise you one miracle that God will perform 100% of the time. I I can promise you one prayer that God always answers, and it's when you pray, Lord Jesus, forgive my sins. Cleanse my heart. Give me a brand new life today. I can guarantee, I promise you 100% that God always answers that prayer. And that's why we celebrate today, those who are being baptized, 22 across two campuses and four right here in a few minutes. You know, these four people have answered that question of Jesus, who do you say I am? And they've answered it right. They said, you are the Savior. You are the Messiah. You are my Lord. You are the one who gives new life. And so we're going to celebrate that today. And here's why. Do you know what Lazarus went on to do? Neither do I. But I do know this, he eventually died again. You know how I know that? We just don't see a bunch of people from the first century walking around today (laughs) saying, Jesus healed me and now I just can't die. I don't know what's going on. But by choosing to follow Jesus, we can have eternal life. And the people that you're about to meet in this tub right here are the people that have chosen that path. They've said, I believe, Lord. And because of that decision, Because of their obedience and baptism, they're now going to live forever with their Father in heaven. And you can do that too. I'd love to talk to you about that. It's not too late for you. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for that truth that by your power and by your grace alone that we can be saved, that we can enter into eternal life with you, God. And I'm so thankful for our four friends that are getting ready to make that proclamation that they have already accepted your work. They've accepted what you've done for them on the cross and uh, they have made it the centerpiece of their life and now they want to proclaim to this crowd, to all these people, that they have decided to follow you and they want to show that publicly and they want to make that a part of who they are and I'm thankful for that. God, thank you for the demonstration of your grace and your power by raising Lazarus from the grave. But God, even so much more, thank you for the way that that foreshadows the way that Jesus would be raised from the grave. 
that we can have great confidence that because he can overcome death, he can overcome anything that's in our lives. We're so thankful for him and his love and the way he demonstrated that on the cross. Thank you that we get to celebrate that today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.